Well, good morning. It is Tuesday, February 6, 2024. Tuesday, February 6, 2024. Slava Ukraine, Herum Slava. PVTV, Political Views TV Podcast. That's what you Google to find me. Tell your friends to Google those four words. Uh, Political Views TV Podcast, and I'll show up right at the top of the search. Can I just say how much I appreciate you in case I haven't told you that before? I really want you to know that. If you can, please bring someone with you uh, today or tomorrow, and you can uh, tweet to me or X to me questions or insights, or maybe you want to fight with me at Cyberclop, C-Y-B-E-R-C-L-O-P-S on formerly Twitter. Uh, let's update you on yesterday's really odd story. Uh, Putin, apologist uh, Tucker Carlson, possibly was seen leaving the presidential office. Russian state media reported late in the day today that the car allegedly being used by Tucker had been spotted leaving the president's office. Maybe he got that interview. Today, the Kremlin again declined to comment on U.S. conservative journalist Tucker Carlson's whereabouts amid continued speculation over a trip he has made to Moscow. When asked to comment on the report today, Press Secretary Dmitry Pesky-Peskov said, I am not commenting in any way on the movements of an American journalist. I, you know, I'll interview Putin. He won't like it. <laughs> uh, Russia is against the ropes, and the fact that Republicans want to help Putin is sickening. Forbes uh, reported at the current monthly loss rate, Moscow has a six-month reserve of combat vehicles, far beyond a sustainable level for Russian forces. As production of new armored vehicles comes to a lag, the Russians still mostly ride in older Cold War vintage vehicles they've pulled out of long-term storage. In 2022 and 2023, the Russians lost about 80 armored personnel carriers per month. According to Oryx analysts, if that rate of loss continues in 2024 and production of new APCs remains steady at between 30 and 40 per month, the Kremlin will run out of fighting vehicles in about two years. But the Russians are losing vehicles faster than ever. On each of the 705 days since the war began, Russian forces on average have lost 19 tanks, combat vehicles, howitzers, and other heavy weapons either destroyed, abandoned, or captured. Uh, they lost a, uh, uh, at least 54 on February 3rd. Another 16 were damaged, making it one of the worst days of the war for Moscow. Worse for Russia is the fact that its losses included 16 tanks and a staggering 29 combat vehicles and APCs, while Ukraine's losses were mostly trucks and civilian vehicles uh, the military apparently used for supply runs. Russia is now relying on 70-year-old decommissioned, uh, decommissioned T-55 tanks that they're using in the field. Tanks that get blown up pretty easily. Uh, UN nuclear watchdog, uh, the chief, Raphael uh, Grossi, told a French radio station today that around 100 of the, 1, 000, uh, of the thousands of Ukrainian staff at Zaporizhia nuclear power plant in southern Ukraine are refusing to sign contracts with Russian nuclear company Rosatom. Grossi told the French radio station in an interview that he would examine any impact on operations at the plant where the six reactors 
are in shutdown uh, when he visits tomorrow. Uh, Grossi is holding meetings in Kyiv ahead of its visit to the Russian-held Zaporizhia nuclear power plant. Ukraine is urging Canada to hand over tens of thousands of decommissioned rockets that are set to be destroyed as the war with Russia nears its two-year two mark. Coming up this month, just, uh, what, three weeks away? Yeah. Um, Canada is planning to uh, soon destroy over 83,000 CRV-7 Canadian rocket vehicle uh, 7 uh, units that were taken out of service in 2005. While the Ukrainian military desperately seeks more weapons and supplies due in part to once steady flow of international and military aid slowly uh, slowing considerably this year, uh, Ukrainian Lieutenant General Kirill Budinov, head of Kyiv's military intelligence agency and possible replacement for Zaluzhny, uh, said in an interview published by Canadian network Global News on Monday that given Giving the rockets to Ukraine instead of destroying them would be a win-win situation for both nations. Uh, some, uh, well, that's what win-win situation means. I don't know why you needed to be redundant, but, you know, maybe it's the translation. Uh, some Canadian officials have reportedly expressed reservations about fulfilling the request over concerns that the rockets may have become unstable in the years since being decommissioned, potentially making transporting the weapons and using them an especially risky proposition. Budinov uh, said, We have no concerns. We need a lot of equipment, both ammunition, munitions in general, artillery munitions, lots of types of equipment. Budinov went on to say that Ukraine believes that approximately 8,000 of the rockets are in good condition, while all of the weapons would likely be stripped down to their comp components and used for drones. Uh, Canada's Conservative Party issued a statement criticizing the government uh, of Liberal Prime Minister Justin Trudeau over the issue, arguing that donating the rockets would be common sense. Turkish defense company Baikar has started building a factory near Kyiv that will employ around 500 people and where it will manufacture either its TB2 or TB3 drone models. Uh, just so you, just so you know, these these drones are, are really big. They're like small jets, basically. They're small planes where if if they took the guts out of the 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 nose of it, they could be planes. A, a person could fit in one. That's how big they are. <clears throat> uh, Bicar CEO Haluk uh, Barakter said on the sidelines of the World Defense Show in Riyadh. Our factory is being built. We need about 12 months to finish construction, and then we will move on to internal machinery, equipment, and organizational structure. The factory in Ukraine is a big one. We are planning to employ around 500 people. Barakter noted the capacity would total about 120 units every year, but said it was still not clear whether production at the Ukrainian factory would focus on TB2 or TB3 drones. Now, what's important, I think, about this is uh, the, the positive thoughts that Ukraine is going to win and the factory is going to be there forever. That's the, the mind mindset, right? Uh, Joseph Borrell uh, has arrived in Kyiv on a trip to underline the EU's unwavering support to Ukraine as the war nears its third year. He said on formerly Twitter... 
Here to discuss with our Ukrainian friends the EU's unwavering support to Ukraine on military side, on the financial side with the new Ukraine facility, as well as on the EU reform path, uh, becoming a member of the EU. Ukrainian Foreign Minister Dmitry Koliba has met with his Portuguese counterpart, uh, Joa Cravinho, in Kyiv to discuss Zelensky's peace formula, Ukraine's EU and NATO membership, and increased military support for from Portugal and the EU. Ukraine is attempting to secure support from European states as well as prioritize its own defense production capabilities amid concerns that supplies from the West might be faltering. Thank you, Republicans, by the way. Russia is suspending imports of bananas and flowers from Ecuador weeks after uh, uh, Quito agreed to U.S. weapons deal that will result in Ukraine receiving Soviet-era military equipment from Ecuador. Ecuadorian President Daniel Noboa announced uh, on January 10th as part of a $200 million deal that he accepted a U.S. offer to exchange the Soviet-era equipment for modern U.S. weapons. $200 million, it can't be very much in modern weapons, right? Several German media outlets are reporting that Sweden plans to close its investigation into the explosions that damaged the Nord Stream gas pipelines under the Baltic Sea in 2022 after apparently failing to identify a suspect. According to the Süddeutsche Zeitung and Dizeit newspapers and broadcasters, NDR and WDR, the prosecutor leading Sweden's investigation will announce the end of the proceedings in the country in the coming days. Russia will uh, uh, use this to scream cover-up even though they were also suspects in the blasts. Ukrainian governor of Donetsk, Vadim Flashkin, told Reuters on Friday that Russia is firing between 1,500 and 2,500 shells and rockets at the region every day, targeting critical infrastructure in order to make it harder for people to take shelter during uh, winter. Governor Vadim Flashkin said in an interview on Friday, the enemy shells uh, in the region from 1,500 to 2,500 times a day, the enemy shelling is this dense. This heavy almost every day. The governor said the uh, Kurakove power plant, one of the region's few remaining large-scale sources of electricity generation, had been forced to close a week ago due to Russian shelling. He said this was part of a wider campaign. The enemy is trying to destroy critical infrastructure objects so that people find it difficult to remain in the region in winter. Velashkin said... The town of Avdivka, the enemy dropped about 200 guided aerial bombs on Avdivka alone over the past month. They are totally destroying it. Hmm. Uh, Ukraine says a group of its special forces blew up a drilling platform in the Black Sea that Russia was using to enhance its uh, the range of its drones. In a statement on the Telegram message- messaging platform, special forces said equipment on the platform was used for drones involved in attacks on Ukrainian critical infrastructure and to control the northwestern part of the sea. I, you know what? This is the same reason that they had the um, Snake Island, remember? Uh, oh, and they had that other oil platform. Didn't they have, They had a second oil platform that, they, that Ukraine took over. 
So this is, this is, isn't this a second one? I believe so. I, I seem to recall them taking over one oil platform uh, that, that Russia was being used. Uh, the operation, dubbed Citadel, was conducted at night and resulted in the capture of important enemy equipment and the platform being blown up. Uh, the statement said a successful special operation ensured safer movements of ships and limited the enemy's capabilities in the northwestern part of the Black Sea. I wonder if it's the same platform and it's gone back and forth. I wonder if that's possible. Hmm. Uh, Russia has claimed to have thwarted an overnight drone attack by Kyiv in the western Belgorod region bordering Ukraine. The defense ministry said on a telegram, tonight an attempt by Kyiv regime to carry out a terrorist attack used uh, using seven aircraft-type UAVs against targets on the territory of the Russian Federation was stopped. All Ukrainian unmanned aerial vehicles were intercepted by air defense systems on duty over the territory of the Belgorod region. Of course, they always say that. Before uh, Ukraine says, oh, yeah, we took out this and we took out that. Russia's Ministry of Defense said today in the Donetsk direction, units of the southern group of forces occupied more advantageous lines and positions. It added that its units had also repelled seven enemy attacks and defeated the manpower and equipment of the Ukrainian armed forces in the areas of settlements of Kleschivka, Andrivka, Kurdyomovka, Novgorodsko. Georgievka and Katrinivka uh, of the Donetsk People's Republic. Yeah, you try it. Ukrainian armed forces said today that they had repelled 10 attacks in the Bakhmut area of Donetsk, including around the settlements of Bogdanivka, Iranivka, and Klishchivka. In an update, uh, excuse me, in an update on Facebook, the military said the Russian forces continued their attempts to, to surround war hotspot Avdivka, but that their soldiers were holding the defense line. The regional official said today a two-month-old baby has died in a Russian missile strike on Kharkiv, northeastern Ukraine. Ole Senehubov, the head of the Kharkiv military, uh, military administration, said Russian forces had attacked the village of Zolashiv in the Kharkiv region, hitting a three-story hotel. Senhubov said on Telegram, rescuers removed the body of a two-month-old boy who was born on December 4, 2023, from under the rubble. Three women, aged 21, 28, and 39, were hospitalized with blast injuries and shrapnel wounds, including the mother of the dead child. Senhubov said Russian forces had hit the hotel during the night using two S-300 missiles. Now that I have your attention, let's move on. Let's try and fix the rest of the world. Oh, man. How was your first day of the week, Monday? Was it good? Did you have a good time today? Or yesterday? Don't mind me, just drink some coffee. <clears throat> uh, this is a surprise from the Biden administration. Yesterday, the White House, and I didn't expect this. I honestly didn't. Yesterday, the White House said that it would reject 
a standalone bill put forward by House Republicans providing aid solely to Israel, as the Biden administration pushes for a broader bill that also includes funds to Ukraine and U.S. border security. Mike Johnson called Biden's veto threats a betrayal of our great ally and friend Israel in their time of desperate need. He added, I mean, Israel is at war. They're fighting for their very existence. They aren't fighting for their very existence, please. They, they will exist if they pulled out today. That's a ridiculous statement. I'm sorry. Moving on. He said, and the idea that Joe Biden would suggest that he would not send a clean funding measure to assist them is just outrageous. He just sent to, to, he just sent aid to them twice without your help. You think that that he won't be able to send aid again? Really? Are you that stupid? And by the way, the same can be said about Mike Johnson, right? That 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 uh, the speaker has warned that Senate border package which includes 14.1 billion in security assistance for Israel would be dead on arrival in the house. So he's doing the same thing. How can he call out Biden for doing it if he's doing the same thing? So isn't he blocking aid to Israel if he if he's not allowing that border package deal to go through? Ridiculous. This is so ridiculous. U.S. State Department spokesperson Vedant Patel says footage of an Israeli soldier standing over a stripped, bound, and wounded Palestinian in Gaza is deeply troubling. The short trip, uh, excuse me, the short clip taken inside a school in Gaza City's Remal neighborhood was uploaded to Instagram by Yossi Gamzu, who appears to be the featured soldier. He deleted the post as well as his Instagram account after the post went viral. The unidentified Palestinian is shown sitting on a chair with his hands bound behind his back. An open wound is seen on his thigh and a nail in one of his bare toes. Some nice torturing for you to view. Ultranationalist Israeli Finance Minister Bezalel Smotrich says U.S. sanctions targeting a handful of settlers in the occupied Palestinian territories are against the state of Israel and an act of injustice. Oh, that's horrible. You know what? I think that's so horrible you should probably tell the United States you no longer want aid from them, you freaking moron. Really? You're going to call out the United States? For, for uh, uh, putting sanctions on four people in all of Israel. You're going to do that. I think you really need to just deny all aid from the United States, you piece of crap. <sighs> when Israel does not like an inv- uh, investigations... They will go out of their way to commit fraud so they can skew any investigation. Israel has confiscated the body of a 14-year-old Palestinian boy who was killed by Israeli forces near Jerusalem yesterday in the occupied West Bank. The withholding of Wadeh Shadi Sa'ad, a lion's body, brings the total number of Palestinian children's bodies confiscated by Israel to 25. 
According to the, defense, uh, to the Defense of Children Organization, Israeli authorities' practice of confiscating and withholding Palestinian bodies is a violation of international humanitarian law and international human rights law. It's not enough to cut off funds for UNRWA, you know, which the United States have, the UK, several other countries. You have to also attack them. Israel has to also attack them. Thomas White, the director of the UN Agency for Palestinian Refugees, said um, a UNRWA truck carrying food supplies has been struck by gunfire from Israel's navy. The United Nations is looking to uh, reassure donors with more than a dozen countries having suspended their fundings to UNRWA as a result of allegations that 12 out of the 13,000 or so UN employees in Gaza may have taken part in the attacks on Israel. 12 of them out of 13,000. One, one, one hundredth of one percent? Is that what it is? One tenth of one percent. What is it? One eh, percent is, you know, is it one percent? I'm trying to do the math in my head. Uh, it's one tenth of one percent. Anyway, uh, this is the U.S. way uh, of helping Israel murder civilians, basically. Uh, removing aid from... Uh, the UNRWA. Uh, the UN Humanitarian Agency, OCHA, has said in its latest update, a group of people waiting for humanitarian aid trucks near the Kuwait roundabout in Gaza City were rep- reportedly fired at on Monday, yesterday. This marks the fifth time that shooting allegations on people gathering to obtain humanitarian aid supplies have been reported in Gaza. Kill them any way you can. Murder them any way you can. We need to wipe out Gaza so Israel can put settlements there. That's what they want. Next in Israel's sight is Rafah, where hundreds of thousands of Palestinians have fled. There is nowhere less to, left to go in Gaza. A Palestinian official has warned of brutal massacres against hundreds of thousands of displaced Palestinians, urging the international community to step in and prevent Israel's planned attack on a southern safe, so-called safe zone in Gaza. Any military operations in Rafah, with its limited space and crowdedness, with over one and a half million Palestinians displaced by the Israeli army, would lead to a brutal massacre unprecedented in modern history, as I said from the beginning, shooting fish in a barrel. Bargodi's statement came after the Israeli defense minister, Yoav Gallant, announced, who's been accused of war crimes, by the way, uh, uh, Gallant announced Rafa as the next target in Israel's military operations. The Israeli offensive has left 85% of Gaza's population internally displaced amid acute shortages of food, clean water, and medicine. The UN says everything's possible must be done to avoid an Israeli attack on Rafah, a city in southern Gaza, which it says could lead to a large-scale loss of life. The the UN Humanitarian Office warned we can warn what might unfold with the ground invasion and we can make clear what the law says. Jens Larke, spokesperson for the UN Office for the Coordination of Humanitarian Affairs, uh, which is OCHA, said in a briefing in Geneva, under international humanitarian law, indiscriminate bombing of densely populated areas may amount to war crimes. So to be clear, intensified hostilities in Rafah 
in this situation could lead to large-scale loss of civilian lives, and we must do everything possible within our power to avoid that. About 1.4 million people are sheltering in Rafah after being ordered there by Israeli forces, which previously described the area as a safe zone. Israeli forces carried out 12 separate attacks on Gaza in the last 24 hours, killing 107 people and injuring 143 others. The health ministry says the total death toll since October 10th reached 27,585 Palestinians with 66,978 wounded. Of course, that does not include the dead under the rubble. So let's just call it 35,000. Well, can we say that, you think? If you haven't heard the news... We're moving on, by the way. We're moving on. We're, we're back in the United States. We're here in the United States, just to let you know. If you haven't heard the news, <clears throat> today a federal court appeals court rejected Donald Trump's claim that he is immune from criminal prosecution on charges that he plotted to overturn the 2020 election results because it involved actions he took while president. That's what he claimed. He said he was president. He's immune. <clears throat> they didn't agree. The decision by a three-judge panel at the U.S. Court of Appeals for the D.C. Circuit took particular issue with Trump's position that he could only be prosecuted if he had been convicted in a Senate impeachment trial first, which I've always argued is a political process, not a criminal process. The unsigned but unanimous opinion from the three-judge panel said we cannot accept former President Trump's claim that a president has unbounded authority to commit crimes that would neutralize the most fundamental check on on executive power. At bottom, former President Trump's stance would collapse our system of separated powers by placing the president beyond the reach of all three branches. We cannot accept that the office of the president places its former occupants above the law for all time thereafter. The defeat for Trump technically returns the case and uh, jurisdictions to the trial court, but the adverse ruling paves the way for Trump to seek further appeals that could delay for weeks or months the start of the fourth, uh, the uh, March 4th trial date set by U.S. District Judge Tanya Chutkin in Washington, though that date was put on hold a few weeks ago. The panel ruled that it would continue the stay currently imposed on the case until uh, the February 12th should Trump opt to seek further challenges to the decision. After that, the case returns to the trial judge, uh, Chutkin, in federal district court in Washington. If the full appeals court grants Trump's and bank request, it could take several weeks for the challenge to be resolved. Should Trump lose again and the full appeals court denies his end bank request, Trump could go straight to the Supreme Court. At that point, the Supreme Court could decline to hear the case at all, or they could take it, but if they decline to hear the case, Trump would be out of options. Trump has made no secret of the fact that his overreaching, uh, excuse me, overarching legal strategy is to seek delay, 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 because if he were to win the 2024 presidential election in November, and the trial had not yet started or had not yet been completed, he could appoint as the attorney general a loyalist who would drop the charges against him. And even if Trump failed to delay the trial until after the election, his preference 
is for them to occur as close to election day as possible because he could use that as political ammunition to claim the charges were political in nature, as he's always done. Now, how is this court case a a little different? This criminal trial? As a criminal trial, Trump does not have the option to sit out as he has in civilian trials, civil trials, you know, the New York, the two New York trials. He would have to show up in court every single day. There is one negative thing about this decision, however, I will say, you know, there's one negative thing. Had Trump won this decision, Biden could have assassinated Trump and not be held accountable. Sad we missed out on that. Uh, Today, Trump's failing case this is this is more trump stuff i mean he's in trouble more trouble than ever before today trump's failing case for fraud in new york took a turn for the worse it's over it's already over and it took a turn for the worse uh when lies that his longtime company accountant apparently told on the stand potentially opened the door for an even more devastating multi-million dollar judgment that could destroy the trump organization in an email to the Attorney General and Trump defense team on Monday, Justice Arthas, Arthur Engeron asked for both sides to respond to the news that former Trump Organization Chief Financial Officer Alan Weisselberg is secretly negotiating a guilty plea with another law enforcement agency. Last week, the New York Times reported that D.A. Alvin Bragg Jr. is coming down hard on Weisselberg for lying under oath to the AG's office in an interview ahead of a three-month civil trial that just wrapped up. Engeron wrote, as the presiding magistrate, he's the judge over over this case, the trier of fact and the judge of credibility, I, of course, want to know whether Mr. Weisselberg is now changing his tune and whether he is admitting he lied under oath in my courtroom at this trial. Trump faces a huge financial penalty, perhaps a quarter of a billion dollars or more, for persistently lying to banks and insurance companies about his wealth. But while Engeron's final order is expected in the coming days, the news that Weisselberg lied could harden the judge's decision to punish Trump and wipe out a substantial portion of his net worth. Could the amended amount... Could the AG amend the amount to even higher than the $370 million proposed? Importantly, the judge noted that Weisselberg's lies could be used to completely toss out everything he said in defense of the company and even allow the judge to make negative inference about the Trump's, uh, Trump organization's fraudulent conduct. Trump's lawyers have until 5 p.m. tomorrow to respond. Ooh, deep doo-doo for Trump. Uh, Normally, Republicans would drool over this border bill, but it's an election year, and having problems at the border is good for Republicans because they can blame Biden. And we've gone over this. This is all that Republicans care about. And Trump needs it for campaign fodder. Oklahoma's James Lankford, who produced the Senate's most conservative immigration plan in decades after torturous talks with Democrats, is learning this lesson with the deal appearing close to collapse. Trump said yesterday, this is a very bad bill for his career, referring to uh, Lankford. Uh, 
uh, a veiled threat to him. That threat has had a chilling effect on other Republicans who backed the deal originally. By dinner time yesterday, a majority of Senate Republicans were leaning against the measure or were resolved to vote it down, meaning a filibuster-proof majority looked impossible in the Senate. We already knew it was going to hit a wall in the House and that spineless Republicans um, uh, in the Senate suddenly ran scared on top of the spineless Republicans in the House. Trump always looks to foster chaos, which is what he's doing. But immigration is especially vital to his political strategy. It was the polarizing issue that powered his political rise in 2015 and remains a driving force of his political movement. Just yesterday, we talked about using hate to grow your political base. That's why there's a little ap- there's little appetite among the party for a bill that might be in the national interest, but that could alienate the past and possibly future president. Of course, this could all change this month if the Supreme Court of the United States actually has a backbone and removes Trump from the ballot. This could all change, even <clears throat> even with. Uh, uh, the conservative Border Patrol Union backing this bill. Republicans join those misrepresenting the bill as amnesty. It's nothing close to amnesty. It would make things worse than they are now for immigrants. When the truth doesn't work, a lie is always readily available for Republicans. And let's remind you, Democrats also hate this bill because it's so overreaching. Johnson, Mike Johnson, uh, Speaker of the House, who has been in close contact with Trump but insists he's not taking orders from the ex-president, is demanding that the passage of H.R. 2, a measure that critics claim would make genuine asylum claims from migrants fleeing persecution almost impossible and would involve indefinite detentions of minors and families with rudimentary access to legal counsel or representation. H.R. 2 won only GOP support when it passed the House, and all those who voted for it knew there was never a chance it could get through a Democratic Senate and White House. But it sent a powerful message to Republican voters and the ex-president who was exploiting the immigration issue in his campaign. Further, proof that everything Republicans do is to get elected, not to help the people, but at this point, who has most to gain by Republican misdeeds and obstruction? Putin, of course, because Ukraine aid uh, is, is in with the bill and Ukraine will lose the war without aid from the U.S. Trump wrote yesterday on his failing, failing social media platform, only a fool or a radical left Democrat would vote for this horrendous border bill. This bill is a great gift to Democrats and a death wish for the Republican Party. It, it's funny he says that only a fool or a radical left Democrat would vote for this bill because the radical left don't want this bill because it's so horrid and so overreaching. So, like I said, Republicans will lie about everything, including stating that the radical left will, will would vote for this bill when they won't. Moving on. 
Today, Nevada will hold its primary. It started already, but the 2024 process features new twists with two GOP events this week, a primary and a caucus, creating an unusual, uh, or caucuses rather, creating an unusual scenario where the leading Republican White House hopefuls won't directly face off. Nikki Haley is on the ticket, right, for the primary. Biden is on the ticket for his primary in the Demo- and, and for the Democrats. Trump is not on the ticket for the primary, but he's on the ticket in the caucuses. The GOP opted to hold on to the traditional caucuses with Republican caucuses set for Thursday in addition to Tuesday's state-run primary. Uh, the uh, result is co- a confusing process that some expect to hinder turnout and likely lead to both former U.N. Ambassador Nikki Haley and former President Donald Trump declaring victory in the state. I, and let me just remind you, caucuses are a throwback uh, to rich people getting together and deciding who should be uh, running Uh, Because most people don't have time to go to caucuses. They have work to go to, right? That's why caucuses are being held. Instead of going out to vote for 15 minutes or an hour or whatever length of time it takes, you got to sit there all day. That's why caucuses are for rich people. Ambassador Nikki Haley and former President Trump, uh, Donald Trump, are going to be declaring victory in the state though only one will walk away with its delegates, right? A change to the state law in 2021 by the majority Democratic legislature after years of dwindling attendance at caucuses transitioned the state from party-run caucuses to government-run primaries going forward. The change came amid a series of new voting initiatives geared towards improving voter access like expanding voting by mail at a time when other states were placing more restrictions on voting to counteract allegations of voter fraud. In a protest to the move, the Nevada Republican Party, which has argued that the caucuses are more secure and encourage candidates to connect with voters, voters are holding the caucuses anyway. Nevada Republicans have made clear that the caucuses are the only method to earn party delegate, delegates in the state while effectively barring anyone on the primary ballot from appearing on the caucus ballot. In other words, I'm not going to let you play. I'm going to take my ball and go home. Uh, Nikki Haley will win the state, but she will not be allowed to take any delegates. The delegates will go all to Trump. Confusing, right? Even though the state evolved to primaries, the Nevada GOP said in a statement, simply put, candidates who participate in an illegitimate process, which they're calling the primary, cannot expect to earn legitimate delegates to the Republican National Convention. As of yesterday morning, over 59,000 Republican ballots have already been cast for the primary. A majority of these are from return returned mail ballots, according to Nevada's Secretary of State office. Meanwhile, over 95,000 Democratic ballots have been cast. Over 81,000 of these are from returned mail ballots. Trump picked up 20 delegates in Iowa, 13 in New Hampshire, while Haley picked up eight in Iowa and nine in New Hampshire. A candidate needs 1,215 uh, delegates to capture the GOP nomination. Trump will also get all Republican delegates from Nevada. There are several golden geese that Republicans want for their buddies, their rich, 
the ultra-rich government entities that they want to privatize so they, uh, they and their buddies can profit immensely off the backs of the poor. We talked about the U.S. Postal Service, which the GOP have already begun to kill so it could be privatized. Since the 1990s, the GOP have been discussing the idea of privatizing the U.S. Postal Service. Trump's administration proposed turning the USPS into a private postal operator as part of its June 2018 governmental reorganization plan. Of course, his buddy, Louis DeJoy, gave millions to the Trump campaign to attempt this because Louis DeJoy is the postmaster and he, he has a stock in uh, um, uh, uh, companies that do deliveries. For decades, efforts to privatize the U.S. Postal Service through driving the public service to financial collapse have been attempted by Republicans, like when they required the USPS to pay for all future retirement within 10 years. That was insane, but the USPS was able to do it. 401ks were an attempt to privatize Social Security, and it actually began doing that. At this point, most people can't live off of Social Security alone because Republicans continue to try and bankrupt it. But today, we're talking about another golden goose. Medicare. Medicare has already been partially privatized with Medicare Advantage, which is a faulty extension that makes it difficult to get care and is generally not an advantage. The Trump presidency coalition is working to further, private, further privatize Medicare. The plan was outlined in Rolling Stone. Project 25 is Trump's plan of action. Project 25 has a 920-page playbook for the first six months of the conservative presidency. Republican administrations and right-wing groups have long advocated funneling people who are newly eligible for Medicare to, into Medicare Advantage plans, which are funded by the federal government, paid for by the federal government, and run by for-profit insurers. In other words, stealing from the poor and giving to the rich. During his first White House term, Trump took steps to actively encourage seniors to choose Medicare Advantage plans over traditional Medicare and expanded the benefits that the privately run plans are allowed to offer. But they deny everything. Even though they expanded the benefits, they, when you try and get something done, they deny it. Last year, for the first time ever, a majority of Americans eligible for Medicare were on privatized Medicare Advantage plans, which would further uh, uh, cause Medicare to run out of money. The article says, if Republicans win the presidential race this year, the push to fully privatize Medicare, the government's health insurance program for seniors and people with disabilities, will only intensify. Every year, new and existing Medicare recipients have an opportunity to enroll in Medicare Advantage plans, which engage in aggressive and often highly deceptive advertising practices to lure seniors who are often seeking out benefits not currently offered by traditional Medicare, such as vision and dental care. Instead of expanding care in Medicare, Republicans say, oh, let's get this private company to do it so they can deny the care. That's what's going on. Uh, this is why Republicans have blocked dental care for Medicare. I, I mean, we would love to get dental care in Medicare. We would love to do it. But Republicans always deny. They always deny expanding Medicare. 
because they want the private to take care of it, private industry to make money off of it. Once enrolled in Medicare Advantage plans, which offer limited networks uh, of doctors and overbill the government to the tune of $140 billion a year, patients often feel trapped and are subjected to care denials and other deep flaws in the program. And recent lawsuits have been flying around about how corporations reduce care and profit immensely. So who would be responsible for Project 2025, the Trump plan for conservatives in the White House? Of course, the far-right Heritage Foundation, Project 2025, has said it doesn't speak for any presidential candidate, but Trump's re-election campaign has relied on parts of the uh, coalition's proposed agenda for a second-term planning. Project 2025 also contains draft executive orders that would use the Insurrection Act to deploy the U.S. military against demonstrators. After that came out, Trump campaign senior advisor Susie Wiles complained privately to Project 2025's director and asked the coalition to stop promoting its work to reporters. I guess it's a bad idea to let civilians know about your dictatorship plans. Apparently. So in the past, because of the altering to weather systems due to global warming, we've talked about adding a category six to hurricanes. And there may be a need for category seven, if you really think about it, because it's just going to get worse. A pair of scientists on Monday published a research article exploring the growing inadequacy of the Sapphire-Simpson hurricane wind scale and possibly adding a category six. In a new paper, Michael Weiner of Lawrence Berkeley National Laboratory and James Cosen of the First Street Foundation explained why there is a need for it. Weiner said in a statement... Our motivation is to reconsider how the open-endedness of the Sapphire-Simpson scale can lead to an underestimation of risk, and in particular, how this underestimation becomes increasingly problematic in a warming world. Uh, the scale, the current Sapphire-Simpson uh, uh, scale, is category 1, 74 to 95 miles per hour, category 2, 96 to 110, category 3, 111 to 129, category 4, 130 to 156, and category 5, greater than 157 miles per hour. But we've had hurricanes over 200 miles an hour now. <laughs> Weiner and Cosin considered creating a Category 6 for storms with sustained winds of at least 192 miles per hour. The pair found five storms that would fit that cat, uh, uh, fit into their Category 6. Typhoon Haiyan typhoon in 2013, Hurricane Patricia in 2015, Typhoon Moranti in 2016, Typhoon Goni in 2020, Typhoon Sirigay in 2021. All recent, gee, what a shock! Typhoon Haiyan in 2013 killed at least 6,300 people in the Philippines and left millions more homeless. Weimer said that even under relatively low global warming targets of the Paris Agreement, the increased chances of a Category 6 storms are substantial in simulations. 
Uh, Kosin said, while adding a sixth category to the Sapphire-Simpson hurricane wind scale would not solve the issue, it could raise awareness about the perils of increased risks of major hurricanes due to global warming. Our results are not meant to propose changing to the scale, but rather to raise awareness to the wind hazard risk for storms presently designated under Category 5 has increased and will continue to increase under climate change. I think it should be added. Oh, anyway, that's it. Uh, thanks for listening. Tuesday, February 6, 2024. I really appreciate you so much. Bring someone with you uh, today or tomorrow. PVTV, Political Views TV Podcast. That's what you Google to find me. I'll show up right at the top of the search. You can tweet to me. Questions? Insights or come fight with me at Cyberclops, C-Y-B-E-R-C-L-O-P-S on formerly Twitter. And remember, always remember, government profit is measured by the betterment of the people. Don't you ever forget that. I'm Peter Lawrence reporting from Los Angeles.